The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, JB. It's my joy to preach God's word to you this morning. Bear with us as we always try to figure out the sound. Um, but as Joel mentioned, we are continuing our sermon series looking at just various parables. And you know, I, I must confess, I have been sitting more in the gospel of luke it's it's a, a gospel that I, I don't think i noticed some of the elements and emphasis that luke seeks to give as he communicates this beautiful story of jesus and how he has come to capture and rescue a people who don't deserve it and who really are quite unlikely and so i'm going to invite you to turn in your bibles to luke 14 and we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 24. so that's luke 14 15 to 24 and it reads When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us. As so often that you do with parables, that for some you open up eyes, for others it 
confounds, God, open up our eyes. May what you intend to do with this parable bring us into understanding and true fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you this morning <clears throat> to think with me for a moment. I want you to use your imagination. Imagine you just received a phone call saying that you got an invitation to have a dinner meeting with someone you've admired your entire life. Think with me. Who would that person be for you? Who would that person be as you open up or hear that invitation letter and you say, what, me? I mean, perhaps it's your favorite author whose books you've been enjoying all your life and you've just been engaged in the pages. Maybe for you, it's some speaker that you've been following on social media. You, you follow them on Instagram and every reel that comes out, you listen to them. Because that person has shaped your ideas and your thinking. Maybe the person you've thought of is some actor whose movies have shaped all the range of emotions that as you watch their, their show, you're at the edge of the seat, they, they bring you excitement and, and you feel suspense at other moments. You feel anger at other times and then joy. Again, Maybe this is just some personal hero whose actions have inspired you to become a better person. Again, this would be no ordinary encounter, would it? I mean, this would be a time where you would get this one-on-one -on -one time to have conversation with somebody that's important to you. You can ask any question you want to ask. You can get advice about matters. And even so... That person will be listening and wanting to hear your story. Tell me about your story. Tell me what's going on with you. I mean, that sounds like an encounter of a lifetime, wouldn't it? Huh? It sounds like something that you'd be excited to be a part of. Wouldn't you drop everything you're doing just to go? I mean, that's what you'd expect. You would rearrange your schedule, wouldn't you? Those with children, you would find a babysitter very quickly to ensure that you can attend. If you have some vacation days, you would apply for those vacation days. If you have a work project, you would put it on pause. You would go through any obstacle just to be a part of this unforgettable moment. No excuses, right? You would do what it takes, right? Well... You see, in our parable today, Jesus paints a very vivid picture of a similar scenario. You see, yet what he's speaking about is an invitation to a gathering far greater than any event that is going to be put on by the most notable earthly hero. You see, this parable he gives reflects an attitude of some when invited to a feast by the creator of the universe himself. Again, imagine reading the invitation letter and it's signed, the sustainer of life. The king of kings has invited you here. Again, an invitation 
to a feast into his eternal presence where there is fullness of joy. And as you sit at his table, pleasures evermore. If you got that invitation, what would you do? What would you expect anyone to do with an opportunity like this? You see, for the listeners of this parable, Jesus leaves us with a shocking and unexpected outcome. You see, again, to such a grand offer, when you look at this passage, you're going to hear excuses, excuses, excuses. You know, while Jesus' target with this parable no doubt bears in mind religious leaders of the day, over 2,000 years later, his cross here is focused on us today. For those who believe their citizenship, their status, their outward posture was a shoo-in to the party, and this parable reminds us of the ways we too can presume our place on the eternal guest list. The ways we, like the guest, are filled with seemingly legitimate reasons for not being able to enter into this kind of fellowship that God is calling us into. Here's what I believe the big takeaway for us in this message is going to be. That God's invitation to fellowship with him calls us to set aside excuses and respond with urgency. That God's invitation to fellowship with him calls us to set aside excuses and respond with urgency. We're going to walk through this parable in two parts. And so in verses 15 to 20, uh, I'm going to call it filled with excuses. And then verses 21 to 24, we're going to call that filled with unexpected people. You see, Grace Family Church, there are ways that we can allow the range of worldly pursuits to become distractions that lead us away from the fellowship that Jesus so passionately invites us to enter in. But don't get it twisted. You see, the eternal Jesus party, it now flop. The fellowship that Jesus intends to have with his people that party is going to happen. God has and will continue to do all the things that is necessary to ensure that no seat is left empty at his table. His house will be full. But the question is, will it be filled with you? So let's begin our first part of the parable. Filled with excuses you know as we start it's, it's very important for me to set the stage a bit for you if you're going to go through this particular gospel one thing you're going to notice is that jesus he doesn't shy away from ruffling feathers in in chapter 14 especially we see luke take us through a few awkward moments to say the least well, this, here's the setting. Jesus has just been invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee. This is not 
a party with close friends and family. How the passage describes it, it says the moment Jesus gets there, it says all eyes are on him. I don't think it was because of his outfit. All eyes were on him because they were malus, being malicious and saying, hmm, I wonder what he's going to say this time. I, I wonder what he's going to do because they want to see how he's going to put himself in a place where, all right, we got you. We got you. And again, though, this is a dinner. This is a feast. And really, you know, oftentimes when you go to dinners, they, they tell you about what the appropriate and polite conversation should look like, right? You know, when you go to someone's home, they say, let's avoid talk about politics. And uh, let's, uh, let's avoid talk about religion, right? Let's have some simple dinner conversation. Well, Jesus has no interest in any of those protocols. Nothing is going to go as expected. And so at the very beginning in chapter 14, we see this incident where at the party comes someone who has dropsy. And for those who are not aware of what that is, someone who had swelling in his arms and his legs. And in the midst of that setting, Jesus asks the very infamous question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, the religious leaders who again are trying to wait for a little setup. They are very quiet. They don't know what to say. And so, as they are quiet, Jesus decides to heal this man in front of them. And then he asks another question. So let me ask you a question. If uh, your animal fell in a pit, would you go and, 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 and save that animal? Nobody says anything. They are silent. Okay? Awkward dinner party. Jesus doesn't stop there. He then directs his attention to the guests. He sees the ways that they are exhibiting pride through trying to claim the best seats. And so they're rushing to get the best teeth at the table who want to go to the front, who wants to sit by the important dignitary. And then Jesus gives them a nice little lesson in humility. Hey, when you come to a party, don't, don't decide to go and sit right there. Humble yourself. Let the host bring you to a place of honor. Awkward moment. This is not what the people expect. And if things weren't any more awkward enough, Jesus decides to shift his gaze from the guest of the party to go and look at the host. He does a quick scan at who is present. He sees those who are there who are prominent and those of certain levels of the social class. And then he proceeds to look at the host and say, listen, be careful about how you set up your guest list. Don't set it up in a way where you're only inviting those that can do good to you thereafter. You need to go out and invite the poor and, and the lame, those who can't give you a nice little favor after you've done it. And if you do that, that's when God will bless you. Jesus, where is your social etiquette? You go to the party, you diss the guests, you diss the host. What's the deal? 
One after the other, he challenges the religious, the proud, the wealthy. If that room wasn't hot enough, one can only imagine the atmosphere became even more tense and uncomfortable for the religious leaders and guests. And it is at this point that our parable starts. Some unnamed guests, no doubt hoping to break the awkward silence, comes with a very nice statement. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It sounds like a good statement to say after all of what's going on, right? Jesus has been stepping on a lot of toes. Oh, goodness. All right. Um, well, based on what he said, well, we're here. We're enjoying good food. Blessed is anyone who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, blessed and favored indeed is that person who will dine at the eternal banquet. No doubt that was a very true statement from this astute gentleman. But then Jesus does this. Before you presume that applies to you, Jesus shows who will dine at this banquet. And as I said, it's not who you expect should be there. Jesus does another bomb. He drops a bomb on them with a very simple story. And our story simply begins with a man who is planning a great party and invited many. No doubt similar to the party he's a part of, right? Now, one thing I want you to realize, you see the cultural norm similar to what we have today when you have a party is you send out invitations, right? You send out some invitations. And unlike them who get to benefit from sending out an email, sending out an evite, and when you want to respond, you can click. They would have to send out the servant with the invitation. And at that point, the guests would say, yeah, I can come. Tell me the date and the time. I'll be there. Again, it makes sense because that's the only way that the host can plan appropriately for the guests. All the events planners among us can confirm that the RSVP process is probably one of the most crucial parts of planning the party, right? Of course. Well, here's what we have. So invitations went out. People seem to have responded. He got the goat. They had goat. Curry goat, yeah, man. Set up the curry goat. Set up the sound. The music is playing. The decor is there. Yes, Michael. They can hear the music starting. Party sound ready. So what happens next? Verse 17 says, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Again, this is what they do. A second invitation. There's no emails to send, so they send the servant out again. It's time for the party. Come on. But here's the problem. Verse 18 says, But they all alike began to make excuses. Imagine something like that, eh? Not some of them, not a few of them, 
they all started to make excuses for why they cannot come to this party. Now, understand, this is not a good situation. The host just made the preparation. But everyone seems to say they're not in a position to come. Again, this seems to be the position of everybody from the list, but Jesus gives us a glimpse at three people. And he identifies three reasons why these guests said they will not attend. If you take a quick read of it, you really could feel that, boy, you know, these sound legitimate. They're legitimate reasons for not being able to attend a party. But I think with, with careful and careful eye, you're going to see right through some of these excuses. Let's look at the first one. The first man says he just bought a field and now he needs to go and see it. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here who is a real estate agent. I actually see one around here. I can imagine that guy is probably the best client for a real estate agent. Imagine someone that is so prepared to buy a field, a property, and not see it before. You know, you call the real estate agency and you say, hey, I want to buy a field. And you say, okay, where it is? Sure, I'll buy it. I've sent the money over. Check the wire transfer. That sounds a bit suspicious, eh? Okay. All right. So that's the excuse you bought a house, you, you're going to see. Where is it going tomorrow, by the way? You already bought it. You already bought it. Surely you could wait the next day to see this. The only phrase I could remember is puss in a barrel that you've just bought. You don't know. I, I, what is the, the? No. Puss in a bag. Puss in a bag. Buying something you've not seen before. That's what the phrase is. Puss in a bag. So here's the second guy's excuse. He declares that, listen, I just bought some oxen. I bought five yokes, which, by the way, is about ten oxen. And what you have to appreciate, in those times, oxen, cattle, would be a very crucial part of any farmer's resource. No doubt, this business decision he has made is sizable. Okay, so what is his excuse? I have work. I have business to attend. It seems understandable, right? But again, similar to the first person, he bought oxen, and now he's about to try it out. So wait, before you bought the oxen, you never test it out? Again, these are some very poor business decisions we're hearing. But again, this is his excuse. Same like the guy before. You bought the oxen already. Come to the party and just chill. Go and look at your oxen the next day. Again, excuses, excuses. Now here's the last one. 
I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Somebody said that's so unfair, right? Listen, I, I, it's my honeymoon. I'm sorry. And I mean, maybe he had in mind Deuteronomy 25 that would talk about, listen, when you get married, you need to take a break for a year. Well, the, 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 the challenge with that one, by the way, it was take a year from war. So this was the law to allow men to take a year, more than likely, to see if they can bring about offspring. Because if they go to war, they could die. But again, it kind of sounds legitimate. But a, a question, the first time you got the invitation and you found out there was a party that was going to be next week, um, you didn't remember that you were getting married? Did you get married between that time? Hmm? And besides, as Sam says, if you've just gotten married, this sounds like a great opportunity to celebrate with your newly bride. Invite her to the party as well. You know, the, it, it's interesting how the excuses progress because, you see, the first two, they give the excuse and they say, please, excuse me. Please, excuse me. This last one, no excuse needed. I got married, I can't come. Whee! So, verse 20 to 21 now describes the report being given to the host. And the host is not liking what he's hearing. The passage says he is angry. No. A question I look on and I'm like, but what's the big deal? What's the big deal for somebody not coming to your party? Why is the host being so petty? You might ask yourself. But understand something. You see, the listeners of this parable would certainly appreciate the social commentary that's taking place here. You see, to do something like this is to make a complete offense towards your horse. You see, in not attending to this party at such a late hour, the very hour when it was started, is simply to turn your nose up against the horse. Hmm. He planned it. Uh, no big deal. To do so is to simply waste the horse time to waste the host's effort, his resources, and his sacrifices. Realize, these guys didn't have fridge to go and put up and say, hmm, let's leave it for tomorrow, maybe. For everyone to respond and say, we're not coming, it's almost like this whole conspiracy against the host. Everybody just deciding not to come to the party? What is going on here? No one says, I'm going to be a bit late. Let me do some of these things quickly and come back after. It's simply a cop-out excuse. Because ultimately, they did not want to partake in the company nor the blessings of the host. You see, these small sample of excuses really communicated the invitee's ultimate scorn of the host. And their actions really deemed him 
and his time uh, is not as important as mine. It's not as important as the things I want to do. Even though they paid lip service of their attendance at first, when the time came, their property, their possessions, their pursuits were far more important to them than the personal call of the host. This is a problem, and this is why the host is upset. And so let's look at our second point, filled with unexpected people. What's going to happen to this feast? What's going to happen to the food? What's going to happen to the festivity? Will it be called off? Well, understand. You see, the boycott from the first invitees won't stop the party. The instruction from the host to the servant is clear. Fill every last one of the seats. Verse 21 says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, blind, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. Still, there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways then, the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. What does the host do? The host says, okay, you don't want to come? You think you're so important that you can't find a place here? Fine, I'm going for the poor. I'm going for the broken. I'm going for the marginalized, the outcast, the mistreated of society. Those who never thought they could come to any such party. I'm going to go not just in the city. I'm going to go out of the city. Those will be the ones who will fill the seats. Again, for those that would have been listening to what Jesus was trying to communicate, it's not what they expected to hear. Because again, remember where we started. We are at a party filled with the elites, the religious, the teachers of the law. This whole parable came up because of some very pious Jew making a statement about blessed are those who get to come into the eternal kingdom. And if anyone who should be a part of that party, it would be them, shouldn't it? After all, these were the people that were born into the race of God's chosen people. These are the ones who were so careful to abide by the law and adhere to it. These were the ceremonially clean, the pure people who thought, of course God was blessing us. Look at our riches. Look at our power. If there's going to be a messianic party, surely they thought they are at the top of the guest list. But here is the thing. Like the guests in the parable, the Jewish establishment who receive the first invitation, the invitation through the law, the invitation through the prophets, God's invitation to say, come my people, follow me. Here's my law. Here's my prophets. I'm telling you, there's coming a time, ready yourself. But you read the whole Bible and you recognize that God tells a story of how he constantly reaches out and invites his people to enter into fellowship 
and they constantly reject him. And what makes matters worse, the second invitation came, Jesus himself, Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a servant being sent out, but the very host himself, walking among them, talking to them, going into their cities, going to their towns, declaring, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yet, they reject him. And they reject his message. And this is ultimately what this parable seeks to point out. You see, these excuses really show that at the end of the day, this is a rejection of the host. This was their rejection of God himself. And how does God respond to this rejection? This invitation into his kingdom, he says, well... The least people you expect, I am going after. I'm going for the uncircumcised. I'm going for the unclean. I'm going for the Gentiles. It's a reason why Paul in Romans 11.25 speaks about the implication of what has happened in this time where he says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, we get a picture of what God is doing. You see, Mike McKinley says this in commenting on this passage. He says, The opportunity to feast was now extended to the less desirable members of society. Those who could not lend any prestige to the gathering and whose only qualification for attendance was their willingness to accept the invitation. The parable continues Jesus' message that while the invitation to join God's kingdom is extended to everyone, it does require a timely response. You see, in this parable, we see how God is a pursuer of the most unlikely people. A parable like this flies in the face of those who feel entitled. Those who posture themselves and think, of course I should be here. Surely, based on how I've lived, surely based on what I've done, the things I've given, surely I should be a part of God's kingdom. Rather, God's kingdom will be filled with those who recognize how much they don't belong there. But only by sheer grace of the one who has gone to great lengths to pursue them. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we can be very quick to put ourselves in the wrong place of the story. You know, we, we often look at something like this and we quickly look on... Okay, all right, we see what you're doing. You're, you're trying to address the Jews and the Pharisees, who, um, those who thought that, no, 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 no. It, it, it's about following the law and, 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 you know, those people who rejected Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is trying to address those who think about their own righteousness and presume that they are already on the list. But one thing I want to encourage you, as you read uh, these pages of text, as you read parables, as you see examples of people who are like, wow, you really make those excuses? 
I want you to realize that in our fallen condition that we too are prone to do the very same things that we see here. So again, before we quickly follow the example of the unnamed guests and proudly assert, blessed is the man who will eat with God, let's first make an assessment to determine in what ways are we like the invitees who make excuses. One of the first things I want you to do with your assessment is, friends, have you truly counted the cost? You see, when the first invitation was made, how much thought was really put into the commitment to say, sure, I'll come. You see, following this parable, by the way, right after, Luke is going to talk to the crowd about the cost of being his disciple. And what he wants to say is, guys, listen, the stakes are high. It requires first making a true assessment of what you're going to have to give up. And this is where Jesus makes the very controversial statement. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's the first part of the assessment. As you hear the call of discipleship, are you aware of the cost associated to it as well? You see, his invitation comes with requirements. That's going to impact our lives, guys. It's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact your resources. It's going to impact your goals and your pursuits. Let us not be like the invitees who hear the invitation first and say, Yeah, man, may I come? Here's your second assessment, which I think is probably a more obvious application question. What excuses have you been making as it relates to responding to God's call of discipleship in your life right now? What comforts are you pursuing at the expense of Christ's invitation? You see, again, we ought not to presume that our first commitment and confession is what is most important. The question is, what do you do when he calls on you today? You see, guys, we make time for the things we value. And this is something that you've probably heard us say at different points. Look at your calendar. It's a helpful indicator of the things that you treasure. Because we make way for the things that are important to us. And so a question that I have to ask myself, and I invite you to ask yourself as well, how does your calendar reflect the priority of discipleship in your life. We are such busy people. When you look at our schedules, we are chasing many things. And no doubt, some good things. Eh? Growing with your family, trying to provide, trying to build relationships, doing that business that God has called you to do. No doubt, good things. But if these things hinder fellowship, we must reassess. 
What adjustments do you think God is asking you to make today? And again, please know that, again, every seemingly reasonable excuse that you can conjure up right now in your mind, it, 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 it fails in significance to the coming gathering that God wants you to enter into. Guys, do not opt out. Don't opt out for temporal pleasure and trivial pursuits at the expense of the eternal banquet that God is graciously inviting you into that awaits us. Don't opt out for these trivial things. And again, the parable ends with a very sharp reminder to us when he says, listen, surely none of those who rejected my invitation will be able to come in. Because it's a reminder to us again of that our initial profession is no guarantee of our participation in this eternal feast. You know, R.C. Sproul likes to say this phrase that we must possess the faith that we profess. Let us possess it. As I close, guys, God has no problem with you buying land. God has no problem with you having resources and building a business. God has no issue with you building relationships. Building relationships with family and friends. But what Jesus wants to address are the ways that we put these things above and over his invitation to fellowship with him. The excuses and the reasons we put up in our own hearts. The things that we choose to pursue instead of his invitation to us today. You see, because Jesus wants us to feast with him. He wants to feast, he wants us to feast with him in the world to come. But he also wants to feast with us now. Guys, don't live for the next 70 years and not think about the next trillion. There's a trillion years after this. Let's not focus here, brothers and sisters, on here alone at the expense of the feast he wants us to walk into. And as I said, it's not confined to the distant future. We are invited on an ongoing basis to daily intimacy with our Creator. He offers you joy now, satisfaction now, as we fellowship with Him in His Word, as we spend time in prayer, as we talk to one another about the truths of the gospel. As we make time to encourage each other daily, God desires to fellowship with you now. And so again, he invites you to this communion. He invites you to taste now what we will get into eternity for years to come. He invites you to forsake yesterday's excuse and even the excuse you're coming up with right now 
and the one you will come up with tomorrow. And he ushers you into the grace of his presence. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.